you want to receive positive signals from your subscribers and reduce the amount of negative signals that you're receiving. So some positive signals are opening the message that you send, clicking, responding to your message. That's actually a really big one. So getting your subscribers to reply to your emails is really, really great. Adding you to their safe senders list or address book. If your message did land in their spam folder, if they mark it as not spam or move it out of spam, that's a huge positive signal. So those are all the good things that you want to see from your subscribers. In this episode, I talked to Alyssa Doolin, who is the head of deliverability for ConvertKit. So if you've heard around that ConvertKit has amazing deliverability, which is absolutely true. And you know, you hear a lot of creators talking on Twitter about how when they switched to ConvertKit, their open rates went up, their engagement went up. And that's because of the hard work that Alyssa does behind the scenes. So in this episode, we talk about what professional creators need to know about deliverability, how the industry actually works, the semi-secret organizations that exist behind the scenes. And then we even dive into a really fun new project kind of behind the scenes of what actually announced today when we're recording it. And we'll have been maybe out for a couple of weeks by the time this episode airs. Well, behind the scenes is the deliverability and compliance side of how this secret new project is working. So there's a ton of stuff. Alyssa is seriously the best in the industry. She leads the industry podcast on this and everything else. So if you've ever wondered about deliverability, this is the episode for you. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I was just on your podcast about deliverability, which is the key industry podcast about deliverability I hear. Our creators reference it all the time. And then what's the most fun is when like the rest of the people in the industry reference it. I love the fact Mm -hmm. that you're out there sharing like our values of teach everything you know and work in public when your podcast is listened to by, I think most of the competition (laughs) Um, because you're the only one actually talking about these things. (laughs) Everyone else is like, no deliverability is this like opaque world. You have to, you know, be a member of our secret organization to know about it. And you're like, look, here's how it actually works. Here's what's going on. So anyway, I'm thrilled that you're talking about this. Maybe let's start there. Why do you talk about it publicly so much compared to the rest of the industry that tends to keep things, these things very quiet and secretive? Oh, such a good question. Well, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you send emails to a list of people, or if you don't, you're probably thinking about doing it. And we all know it takes a lot of time to figure out the platform you're going to use. It should be ConvertKit, but you know, it still <laughs> Not takes that a we're lot biased of time. at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and then you have to design your email to make it look the way you want to. And to me, the hardest part, write the copy. And it's just the worst thing ever if you do all that work. And then your email doesn't even land in the inbox of those subscribers. Because then all the money you're spending on your ESP, the time you spent to make that email happen, it's just down the drain. And then to me, one of the even worse parts is because typically deliverability is so hard to understand and people haven't made it very easy to understand. Whenever you do run into an issue, like your email bounces or it goes to the spam folder, good luck, (laughs) you know, in the past finding information on why that happened. It usually, you know, you can start with Googling, but you'll go down so many rabbit holes. Like, is it SPF? Is it DKIM? All these crazy acronyms that aren't even the issue. And then you spend lots of time digging into technical things. So my goal is to make deliverability way easier for anyone to understand, anyone who sends emails to their audience. And yeah, I don't think it should be like this big secret that only a handful of people in the world know about. I want everyone to know about it. I love that. Definitely fits our our core values as a company. And honestly, it's just good marketing because a lot of people say like, (laughs) you know, we have the best deliverability or all of that. But really when you demonstrate that expertise by saying, like by talking about it, then then people tend to trust and believe that a lot more and see the evidence of it. For someone who is, you know, in the world of sending email, maybe they've got 5,000, 10,000 subscribers and they know at a high level, like they've heard deliverability, but how would you define it? Like what is deliverability in in the way that, that a creator should care about? Yeah, it's basically whether or not you're reaching the inbox of your subscribers for the most part. It's normal for like one out of, 100 emails maybe to go to the spam folder. That's just the way email works. It's going to happen sometimes. Some people have, you know, B2B email addresses or really strict filtering setup. 
where it's almost impossible to get to their inbox. And that's normal. But for the most part, for the vast majority of your audience, you want to be reaching the inbox. And that's really what deliverability is all about. And that's what people care about. Now, reaching the inbox, does that mean... Uh, there's a bunch of different inboxes, right? Does that mean the primary mm-hmm. tab? Does that mean span? Like, Ooh, how, right? how do you define the <laughs> inbox? <laughs> right off the bat, you're getting into the promotions and primary tab. <laughs> oh, this is a big one. Yes. Yeah, so that is all the inbox. Basically, anything that's not the spam folder is the inbox. So as much as a lot of people hate it, the promotions tab is still the inbox. You know, Gmail will tell you that and everyone will tell you that. It is a kind of a different part of the inbox, but it is still the inbox. And we can get as much into that as you want to. Yeah, that sounds good. That we'll we'll save that for, for the details. <laughs> I think a lot of people listening are gonna like want to know just who you are and how you came to the deliverability industry. So I'd love to hear a little bit yeah. about that. What what is the the last handful of years of your career looked like? It's gonna sound like I'm gonna go way into the weeds, but I'm not. It's just helpful context of like how this happened because no one goes to school for email deliverability. Yeah, like that's not a thing. <laughs> there's no there's no college classes. Do you have a degree in no. that? Certifications? No. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was using my degree more, but no. Still paying what, it off. What's but... your degree? <laughs> my bachelor's is in math and my master's is in secondary math education. So like high oh, school nice. math. You're so analytical and I've seen this in so mm-hmm. many projects that we do. And we can talk about, maybe later on, we'll talk about the project that is secretly launching very quietly mm-hmm. today. We'll fit out for a few weeks by the time this this launches. But I don't think I knew that that you had a, a degree in math and like a lot more things make sense. So if you're, you're like level of yeah analytical focus <laughs> and and like organization and all of that. Why I love talking about churn and numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's exactly. so fun. <laughs> yeah, so really high level. You know, college. I had like three different majors. I've always been the kind of person who's just like interested in so many things that it's hard to pick a thing. So it was like engineering, pre-med, whatever, math is where I landed. I was like, I just want to help people and I I like numbers. So sure, I'll be a math teacher. Moved to Nashville to get my master's. And while getting my master's, had lots of spare time, needed a part-time job. And I started working for Eventbrite's customer support. And it was my first like SaaS company that I worked for. And I loved it, even though obviously customer support was so hard and it was phone support most of the time, which was like, oh, just really hard. But I really enjoyed it. And I was really interested in everything. You know, I wanted to like dive deeper into company stuff. And then I worked for um, Warby Parker's corporate office in Nashville, too. And it was very similar where I was doing customer support stuff, but I was like wanting to really dive in more. And then I started to get in the classroom and I was like, oh. This just isn't as fulfilling as I thought or as fun as I thought for me. And I really missed like the SaaS kind of environment. Although I didn't want to do obviously customer support my whole life. That was very stressful. I knew I wanted to get back in that world. So I had heard of a lot of the tech companies in Nashville and just started like searching every tech company's job back in those days. It was like, I don't know, seven years ago or something. Working remotely was like a dream and not very many companies did that. So I was like, got to find a place in Nashville. And I found Emma, which stands for email marketing. Oh, I don't there think was, I ever knew that. I, it's I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. People are always surprised. And there was a listing for a deliverability specialist. I looked through the requirements and I was like, oh yeah, customer support, technical abilities, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what deliverability means, but we can figure this out. So Yeah, I got lucky. I mean, I did a ton of research, obviously, before my interview. And I explained to them in my interview how email worked, even though I didn't know that, you know, like a week ago. And luckily, they hired me. And I had a really great boss who had been doing deliverability for 10 years. So I think that's how everyone in deliverability kind of gets in. It's like, you get lucky with your entry job. And then your boss has been doing it for so long. And they teach you everything they know, which is amazing. It's like an apprenticeship model, basically. Exactly. And it worked so well. And then eventually he moved on to do more like GDPR legal stuff. And so I took on his role. But yeah, then I was I was ready for a different kind of environment, found ConvertKit, and the rest is history. Here we are. And in that process, Emma got bought by Campaign Monitor, right? Or the CM group? Exactly. And that's that's really where I was like, okay, <laughs> I got to get out of here. Well, it's interesting just as, I mean, for anyone who knows the the email industry, like there's a lot of consolidation of like mm-hmm. private equity coming in and and buying campaign monitor and then picking up Emma and Delivera and a whole bunch of other platforms, which is why like is Emma still around as a standalone platform? Yeah, it still is. Yeah, it's interesting. I know like this 
campaign monitor group. They go by CM group. They reached out to us about an acquisition. And it was just interesting seeing at the time how they like tried to roll up as many co- companies as possible. Yeah, I think they probably still are. They were really buying up everybody they could. <laughs> <laughs> yep, email's a good business. You know, yeah. everyone understands how how important it is to do this well. I mean, you've been at ConvertKit leading deliverability for years now and, and really created a lot of the reputation that we have in the space, which is fantastic. Like in the early days when we focused on great deliverability, it was partially around expertise, right? Of like, I learned a lot over the previous, yeah. you know, the first five years or so of running ConvertKit and then hired consultants for, you know, key problems that we got stuck on, like getting the first spam house block list and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, a lot of what we did in the early days was just focused on reputation of senders, right? Mm. Of making sure that we were very exclusive with who we worked with. There was a player at the time that was really popular called Infusionsoft in the online marketing space. You just kind of watched their reputation get dragged down as like the like the sleazy direct response marketers mm-hmm. learned the power of Infusionsoft's automations. It was like, this is amazing. And so they all start to use it and then like because Infusionsoft wasn't picky about who they did business with, like it just tanked the reputation of the entire platform. Yeah. And so early on, a lot of what we did was just like be very strict about, you know, we're going to let only creators who are writing great content. I, I guess that, that was reputation management in the very early days. Very important. <laughs> you, Yeah. Maybe <laughs> is there anything to add on the reputation management side? And then you've obviously systematized it to like a whole ridiculous level compared to what I did in the early days. Yeah. Well, that's just such a huge part of deliverability for an ESP or for a large, you know, sender. It's all about the reputation of our customers. That's a big part of it, like you said. And so the fact that you had that mindset already when I got here made my job so much easier because a lot of being a deliverability and compliance person is like begging (laughs) execs and salespeople to like, please let me cancel this account or please don't, you know, don't accept this customer. That was a lot of my old job. And so it helps that we're all on the same page. A big part of my job is fighting spam and then not just spam, but, uh, you know, accounts that just aren't a great fit because that is how deliverability at ConvertKit is so good is because we make sure that we are only allowing creators with good content, like you said, to join our platform. And if we have a creator who needs help, like we have a team of people who are there to help improve their deliverability. So, you know, we're not like jerks about it. We're yeah. really going to help creators who have good intentions and need help. But for the people who just aren't a good fit, like sending cold emails, it's just not what ConvertKit's made for. And so it's hard. And that's why not all ESPs have such great deliverability is because we turn down a lot of money. Like <laughs> It's a lot. I don't think people are aware of how much money ConvertKit says no to because we want to keep our deliverability and reputation so healthy. So yeah, that's a very important part of the job. Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know that we could <laughs> put an exact dollar amount on it, but it, it compounds to millions or tens of millions of dollars a year in revenue that we're turning down because it's just playing such a short-term game, right? Yep. Like you could you could have that revenue now and it would be nice and you could spend on building cool new features and that sort of thing. But it'll cost you in the long run. And then For all sure. of these, you know, all of these customers, the like Tim Ferriss and Susan Kane and James Clear and everybody else, right, who is invested in the platform putting out great content, right? They're going to get helped or hurt by the halo effect from the other mm-hmm. creators on the platform. Yep. Maybe get into that a little more. What what actually contributes to deliverability and reaching the inbox? So since ConvertKit is handling all of, you know, the things we just talked about in the background for you, we're managing the IP reputation, we're managing ConvertKit's domain reputation, we're monitoring for things like block lists, which I can get more into if needed, but basically we're handling the foundational aspects for creators so that they have a really healthy, strong foundation to send on. So for creators using ConvertKit, what they need to know about deliverability is that mainly their sender reputation is the number one thing that impacts deliverability. So if you didn't know, the domain that you use to send emails has a reputation with all of the different mailbox providers like Gmail, Microsoft, Yahoo, all of them. They have feelings about you. They have thoughts about your domain, (laughs) whether you knew it or not. It's kind of like a credit score, except for most of the providers, you don't have a way to know what your score is. And it varies at all the different providers based on what they're seeing from your mail. So that reputation that you hold with them is the most important thing. And the way that they determine your reputation 
is through a lot of different factors. You know, they have algorithms that are controlling it and it changes. So we can't tell you exactly what's happening, but, you know, we send 2 billion messages a month. So we see enough data that we can tell you a big part of what's happening. And that is you want to receive positive signals from your subscribers and reduce the amount of negative signals that you're receiving. So some positive signals are opening the message that you send, clicking, responding to your message. That's actually a really big one. So getting your subscribers to reply to your emails is really, really great. Adding you to their safe senders list or address book. If your message did land in their spam folder, if they mark it as not spam or move it out of spam, that's a huge positive signal. So those are all the good things that you want to see from your subscribers. And then the negative things that you really want to minimize are spam complaints, which is when someone marks your message as spam. That's a big negative signal. Obviously, it's going to happen from time to time because, you know, things happen. But if it's happening a lot, we say one out of every 1,000 subscribers complaining is like, "Eh," that's when you start to, you know, worry. And then if it's getting more than that, then there's a red flag, something's wrong. So definitely you want to reduce the amount of complaints you're getting. And then a big one that a lot of people don't pay attention to is people leaving your messages unread for a lot of consecutive messages. So if you have a lot of people on your list that have just slowly started, you know, they're not opening your emails anymore and you don't do anything about that, you just keep emailing them at the same rate, that starts to be a really big negative signal to mailbox providers. And you can start to see your reputation drop pretty suddenly and your emails start to go to spam pretty suddenly if you aren't cleaning your list regularly. Okay, so that's a big debate that I hear between mm. creators and then I, you know, watch happen on Twitter and sometimes I weigh in and other times I, you know, wisely just <laughs> stay out of it. Just because someone's wrong on the internet doesn't mean you need to correct them. <laughs> but people saying like, oh, it doesn't matter if I clean my list or not. If I'm sending 10,000 people and 5,000 are opening, like let's just ignore the other 5,000. Or you get into this world where... Maybe the numbers matter for some. Maybe you're trying to sell a book deal and it looks better to say you have 10,000 subscribers rather than cleaning your mm. list and, and deleting, you know, three or 4,000. Or there's a scenario, right, where you don't know, like not everyone has images turned on and so you don't know, like opens aren't right. completely accurate. And so th- there's this big debate that happens of should I clean my list or not? And you have a pretty strong stance on that. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd love to hear that, especially because it's one, if anyone's paying attention, that makes ConvertKit less money. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to so trust true. us on this, like <laughs> it is, it would be short-term beneficial mm-hmm. for us to say, don't clean your list, but it would hurt us a lot long-term. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. I am a little scared that the outcome of this podcast is Nathan's going to be like, so Alyssa makes us a lot less money. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> it's all good. So I actually just wrote a newsletter post about this. So quick plug. I have a deliverability dispatch newsletter. And basically, I talked about list cleaning strategy and had a big, it depends. So the people you're talking about on the internet who are talking about it, their sample size is themselves. And they haven't run into an issue yet. So they're saying, oh, it doesn't matter. But again, the difference is like, I see 2 billion emails a month leave our system. I help thousands of creators. So I've seen some things. (laughs) And I have like specific creators in my head where I'm like, oof, like they had that same thought too. And then once they hit a certain threshold, All their emails at Gmail went to spam and it took so long to clean up the issue. I have a certain creator in my head that we all know their name and I'm not going to say it, obviously. They had a big issue with this and it was really sad. Like they ended up having to clean up actually way more subscribers than they would have had to because they were in damage control mode and they just needed their reputation at Gmail to get better and fast because all their emails were going to spam. So basically it does matter. It is a big, it depends situation. Do I think that every single person out there should immediately delete subscribers once they haven't opened in three months? Like, no, I don't. I don't think that there's a hard and fast rule that every single person has to follow. But I do know that there is a threshold of sending enough email to subscribers who haven't opened in a long time that will hurt your reputation. And it's really hard to come back from. So what I think is good for everyone to do is just to have a guideline that they follow to where they're proactively cleaning up their list so that they don't get in a situation where they're having to reactively do it and it's way more painful and all their emails are going to spam. So some ideas for people who are like, I don't have any issue and I don't really want to clean my list. You can reduce frequency to your cold subscribers or your unengaged subscribers. So maybe you email them once a month, but you email everyone else once a week. 
and you send them like a monthly digest or something. So that way, the effects of emailing those unengaged people, it's going to be a lot less impactful. You can have a much longer policy. Maybe you only want to remove people who haven't opened in a year, or maybe you want to create a really great re-engagement campaign that's super proactive and it kicks in, you know, maybe at like three months or six months where you don't clean people out, but you start emailing them different sorts of emails and your goal is to re-engage them and maybe get them to click on a link in case you're worried that their open tracking pixels are turned off. So all that to say, you can get creative if you're really against cleaning up your list. I totally get it. It's probably hard to want to do it if you've never had an issue, but it's also I'm on the other side of it where I see so much mail and I'm like, oh no, trust me, it it matters. And it's not good once it happens to you. Yeah. And I think in all of that, it's playing a long-term game. Mm -hmm. So yes, if you don't clean your list, that might benefit you for something short-term by being able to be on a podcast and say, I have 10,000 subscribers and you know, when only a smaller portion are active or, you know, helping you in that book deal or a sponsorship deal or something else, none of that matters. Like that's not the long-term thing. And same thing Mm -hmm. for the right? Yes. It would help us short-term if we said, don't clean your list, because that would mean that your list would be bigger and and you'd pay more per month. In the same way, it would help us short-term if we said like, sure, bring over that list of cold emails and send to them. (laughs) But it like, it absolutely tanks reputation long-term. And I mean, this is just an industry where reputation is everything. You know, reputation is everything in the creator industry of like, how are you interacting with partners and all that? But basically the email industry has baked reputation into algorithms. And and so that's what we spend all all our time doing is making sure that the emails we send are, you know, the types of emails that people want to receive. Exactly. And a brand is not going to love it if you're like, oh yeah, put it, you know, an ad in my email. I have 100,000 subscribers. But you only have 10,000 engaged subscribers. Like, so mm-hmm. inflating your numbers, again, it's just not going to be good for you, no matter what your goal is. Yeah, that makes sense. How does content impact deliverability? You know, you heard people talking about like, oh, don't use free in an email because <laughs> it'll go straight to spam. <laughs> is that true? I love this debate. And it's something that a lot of people in my industry love debating. Again, it's kind of an it depends, mostly no. Like, So email has just changed so much and a lot of the content that's out there has not changed. Back when the spam filter was invented, which really wasn't that long ago, that was very much the case. So the spam filters were using keywords they were looking for to stop spam. As we all know, unfortunately, I know it too well, spammers are pretty smart. And so if they know, oh, the word free will make me go to the spam folder, they're not going to use the word free and they will adapt. So spam filters have had to get a lot smarter. Just having certain keywords are no longer helpful for getting spammers out of the inbox. So for that reason, Gmail and like the major mailbox providers are not looking at keywords to block your messages or send your messages to the spam folder, but they are looking at different things when it comes to content. And a note that there might be some, you know, really old B2B address you're sending to where yes, their IT guy especially schools, IT systems. We have a lot of teachers who do like teacher pay teacher type of content and they have a much harder time reaching the inbox because they're emailing teachers and the IT people at the school districts are very strict. You know, they want the students and teachers to not receive harmful content. So anyways, that's why it's an it depends. Like there might be some systems that do look at certain keywords, but for the most part, for a lot of like B2C addresses, the big mailbox providers, It's not certain phrases or words, but your content doesn't matter. So some things that do matter, text to image ratio. I see a lot of creators who will like design a really beautiful email in like a PDF and then just put their PDF in the the message. They'll just like put it as an image and send it. That's not usually going to go well because to mailbox providers that look super suspicious, like that you're trying to get around their system by just sending one big image. So Best rule of thumb I like to use is just make sure there's enough text in your email to where if images didn't load, it would still make sense. No one would be like, what in the world is this email saying? So there needs to be enough text there to balance out the images. There can be like domains that you use in your message that actually do cause your message to go straight to the spam folder or be bounced. There was a period of time where Gmail was bouncing any email that contained a Bitly link in it. That sort of fluctuates depending on Bitly's reputation. I think a lot of spammers must use Bitly. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Any link you use in your email, which is content, can impact your deliverability. So make sure you're only linking to sites that you fully trust their reputation, 
And it's not sort of like a shared website like Bitly where anyone can get on it and use it. So basically spammers were using Bitly or other URL shorteners to mask like linking to a bad URL. And then the inbox providers catch on to that. And then they sort of paint with a broad brush and say, okay, like all of a sudden everyone who's using this is going to go to spam or or be much more likely to go to spam. Yep, exactly. So highly recommend not using most link shorteners. Some of them are not as bad as others, especially if you like have to create an account to use it or if it's a paid service, that's always better. But if it's a free online thing where you can just generate a link, that's not usually going to go well. Yeah. And then what about like in how you interact with your audience? Is there anything in like making sure that the content is relevant to your audience? How, how does that fit into it? Yeah. So that's the most important thing I would say when it comes to content, when people say, well, does content impact deliverability? Definitely, because it's your content is going to determine how your audience engages with your emails or doesn't engage. So it's really important that your content is relevant to your subscribers. It's important that you have the right frequency. So that's different for every sender. But I would say for most senders, daily emails usually don't work well or multiple times a day. And I do see some people try and do that and their subscribers are just fatigued. So they stop opening. So try and find the cadence that works well for what your content is delivering. Obviously, if it's a daily newsletter, then that's great. Like that works for you. But for most people, weekly is a pretty good cadence or like two times a week. And then, yeah, I think relevance to your subscribers. Don't just send an email to send an email and check that off your to-do list. Make sure that if you're writing to your audience that you have something to say and that it's on brand with your voice and why they you know, opted in to your newsletter or your audience to begin with. I know I'm thinking of a certain, I think we were both on this email thread. Like we had a creator reach out to us and they're like, my open rate dropped so much this week. I don't understand what's going on. And they like did something different with their content. Normally they only talk about finance. And then that one edition, I think they talked about like something happening in the world and they had a really low open rate. And it was like, well, I understand that this thing is important to you. It doesn't mean don't send it, but your audience was there for financial information and it just didn't resonate with them. So I would say try to stick to why someone joined your list. Try to make sure every email you send delivers value, whether it's just insightful or entertaining or telling a story or giving a coupon code, whatever it may be, and that you're not overwhelming your audience or not sending frequently enough. I would make sure to send at least once a month to keep your reputation up and to make sure your subscribers remember who you are. It sounds like it's a lot of setting expectations and then meeting those expectations. So if you come in and say like, you know, sign up for my weekly email and then you send every day, people are going to be upset about that. But then on the other hand, you know, if you're saying, Hey, this is a monthly email that you're going to get and you only get to it every three months or every six months, then you're not going to have the enough engagement for the the inbox providers to actually basically remember who you are, let alone the the (laughs) recipient to remember who you are. Exactly. This comes up a lot, right? Because we have creators migrating to ConvertKit and I I get to see you (laughs) deal with either some really active creators, you know, who are just moving from a MailChimp or an active campaign or something else over to ConvertKit. And then you also get some that are like, project customers, <laughs> you know, yeah. where it's like, Hey, I built this email list to a hundred thousand people. And then I took an extent, you know, a couple of years off and mm-hmm. there's gotta be some people like I'm, I'm coming back, but there's gotta be some people who still want content from me. Like, how do you tackle those projects without, you know, tanking reputation, but still finding who the engaged subscribers are in that group? Yeah. Ooh, those are rough, but it's something we do. So One thing I always do first is run the list through a list validation tool we have. And, you know, since you all are listening to Nathan's podcast and you're friends of ours, if you just write into ConvertKit support, we can run that on your list. And it'll basically tell us which subscribers are invalid or risky. So that gets rid of anyone who is obviously going to bounce because we want to minimize bounces. Having a really large amount of bounces all at once can impact your deliverability. So that's step one, just to like remove those invalid emails. Then step two is to make a plan to where we can kind of tiptoe into sending and cause the least amount of damage possible and like be ready to pause at any moment if we need to. So I usually ask the person like, do you have any engagement data that you can tell me? Whether it's like scores, some 
other ESPs, and we do too, have, you know, subscriber scores. So that helps a lot. And then I can say, okay, I want you to only send your five stars first and then your four stars and so on. If they don't have that, I'll try and say like, can you send to everyone who opened an email from you in the last six months? Just to give us some sort of data to go off of. If they don't have that, we just got to go randomly. I usually make the audience into much smaller chunks. It depends on really what their overall size is and how soon they need to send to everyone. But I would say it's usually like 10 to 20,000 in a chunk. And I'll be like, okay, let's just email this group of people first and see what happens. And, you know, if their open rates are okay and we don't see a ton of spam complaints, then I'm like, okay, let's go on to group two. If it were ever, you know, that they send that email and the open rates are terrible, like below 10%, or they get a really high complaint rate, or I hear from Spam House or something like that, then I think it would be a harder conversation to be like, okay, we can't keep going with this plan. How can we? maybe start a list from scratch or like try to get a new list of subscribers based on your current audience and people who follow you in other places. So we don't normally have to do that. We need to go slow and steady in those scenarios to reduce any reputation damage. Yeah. And often that works great for creators. Sometimes they're like, oh, I have this, you know, a book launch coming or something else and and they're in a hurry. Yeah. But but that's where like the, the list validation things that we can do can help because then we can at least go through and be like, look, this is not even a valid email address. Right. There's no MX or no mail records for this domain. Mm-hmm. This domain doesn't actually even exist anymore. <laughs> you know, and like <laughs> that happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> clean out all of that first. Mm-hmm. And then we also have the ability just because we've, I don't remember the number. I think it's something like 800 million unique email addresses across ConvertKit mm-hmm. that we've seen before. Right. And so we can start to be like, we do a lot of that. I, am I yeah. allowed to say this? I don't know. I'm going to say it anyway. We do a lot of that in like the spam detection side of things, right? Right. Someone imports a list and it's like, it's not just about, you know, the IP address of who imported. It's like, no, we've seen 75% of these email addresses before and they're not Mm -hmm. good. And so like we can do a lot of comparison and validation just from having the amount of data that we have. Right. It helps. If you're migrating to a new email platform and you're worried about reputation, something that we do sometimes is get your email sequences migrated first, especially if you have traffic to your website. Because mm-hmm. those, you know, you, someone might say like, oh, my open rates are really high, like 75, 80%. And because usually open rates start high and then decline over time, right? And so if someone has just subscribed to your list and they're getting the like the welcome sequence and all of that, that can be a great thing to get initial reputation on, you know, ConvertKit's platform. And then the inbox providers see that and they're like, oh, this is good. And then we can import more like, legacy subscribers as well. Yes. I love that strategy. It works really well. Yep. That's good. So a lot's happened with open rates over the years, the last two years in particular. Yes. (laughs) With Apple's iOS changes. So I'm curious, like, what do you consider good open rates and maybe good click rates as well? And then how has Apple's privacy changes impacted the industry? Yeah. Such a good question. I feel like pre-Apple stuff, which I guess was like a year ago now, I think it was Oh gosh, with COVID, I don't even know what yeah, times are. Time it's been a while. I don't know. But before Apple's new iOS change, which I guess in case anyone doesn't know what we're talking about briefly, I'll tell you with Apple's current operating system, if you use their mail app on your phone or your laptop or even your Apple Watch, I don't know if people do that. Whenever you open the mail app the first time you downloaded that new iOS, it popped up and said, something scary. Like, do you want to share your information, your IP address and all this stuff with people who are sending you emails? And it was basically like, yes, protect my information or no, like tell them everything. (laughs) It wasn't that exactly, but it was to the point where you're like, anyone would click, yes, protect my information. And basically whenever someone says, yes, I want to protect my information. Whenever someone sends them an email with an open tracking pixel in it, which pretty much all bulk messages, like promotional messages, have an open tracking pixel, Apple will automatically open that pixel. Even if the actual user did not open the message, it's going to show as opened. So for that reason, open rates across all emails have gone way up. Before they did that, I would have said a good open rate is above 20% and really good open rate is above 30%. But now that goes out the window. I would say a good open rate now is 30% and above. And that's sort of like even on the low side of good, 40 is like pretty solid. A lot of creators I see these days have like 40% and above open rates. 
those are people with really engaged lists and great content, but that's still sort of what I would aim for. I would aim for a 40% or above open rate. And I know this has caused like just a ton of debate on what this means for opens. It's changed a lot. So the way I like to, you know, talk about it is now you can't really look and say, oh, this says bob at gmail.com opened my message. I fully trust that he opened my message. I would not trust that. But what you can know is it probably went to his inbox because with a lot of the testing that's been done, we've seen that if the message goes to the spam folder in Apple Mail, they will not automatically open the message. So if you send out an email and you see a huge drop in open rates, there's still a good signal there that your message went to the spam folder and that you need to do some digging. If your open rate is consistent and it's high, it's hitting inboxes, which is really one of the biggest things you want to be concerned about with your open rate. If it comes to you like wanting to know, did this person have their eyeballs on my email? That's really not what open rate is good for anymore. What it's good for is, did this person have the opportunity to have their eyeballs on my email? Did it go to their inbox? Yes. And then from there, if you want more detailed information, I would really look at conversions, honestly. Clicks even are a little bit tough these days. More and more mailbox providers are starting to automatically click links to check them for safety. It's not as common as automatic opens, but still I would get out of the mindset of even looking for clicks as being accurate. And I would look for what do you want people to actually do? Do you want them to buy something? Do you want them to reply to your email? Do you want them to download your podcast and look for whatever metric is the end result to measure success? Yeah, that makes sense. Those non-human interactions are definitely climbing for a, a ton of different reasons. It's also interesting just how it plays out in different providers. Like I remember, wasn't there a thing a few years ago where Yahoo was clicking every link in emails, including like the unsubscribe that they were doing something weird. And I remember <laughs> we had to like build in bot detection specifically for Yahoo accounts. Oh, wow. That might've been pre me. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if something crazy like that happened. Yeah. There's always these shifts that come up. Yep. Another thing that I'm curious about is just how do the the conversations work behind the scenes, right? Of a bit of a leading question because I know the answer to it, but <laughs> do you have like relationships with people at the inbox providers and how, like what's the, what's the industry conversation? Because an individual creator, if, it's, if they're running into a problem, they can't do anything. Right. Oh, yeah. Yahoo does not care. They will not, you know, they won't talk to an individual. You know, as a the head of deliverability and reputation at an ESP, like what, relationships do you have? Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's like a hidden thing that people should be concerned about when it comes to their ESP and who they choose. It's not something that most people would even think about. But something interesting is that ConvertKit is a member of this group called MOG, which is an acronym. It's M to the third degree, A-A-W-G. Which stands <laughs> this for... is the most obscure <laughs> acronym ever. I'm sorry. Every time I say it, people are like, what are you saying? Mog. It's fun to say. But it's like a secret society, basically. Yes, it kind of is. I know. I'm like, am I supposed to talk about it right now? But I can talk about it. Yeah. It's a group that's really hard to get into. And it's only for companies and organizations who are fighting abuse online. And to get in, it's like a really intense application process where you have to prove that you're actively fighting abuse. Like we kind of talked about at the the beginning of this podcast, we cannot allow people to send unsolicited emails or anything like that through our platform when we're a member of this group. And so we have a good reputation in that group. And the other people in that group or businesses, organizations are Gmail and Microsoft and Spam House, who's like the largest block list provider out there. So because we're in this group, we have a big in with these people and a relationship built. And plus, I get to see them face-to-face when I attend these conferences, which is really awesome. So that's been great. If I ever see any weirdness, a good example of this, I think it was the day after, I think it was like the day after Black Friday, which that whole Black Friday, Cyber Monday is like my Super Bowl. You know, I'm like on my computer while my family's eating turkey, but it's fine. (laughs) Refreshing numbers (laughs) and making sure everything looks good. and. One of those days, Melissa, my teammate, and I saw some bounces, and the bounce reason mentioned Spam House. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is not happening. But luckily, I could just email my friend at Spam House and be like, hey, what's going on? 
And it was like they had an outage. And so it was causing a bunch of bounces all over the place. It wasn't specific to ConvertKit or anything we were doing. And they fixed it like immediately. So that's just a good example of the relationships we built there. And I know when I was on maternity leave, Melissa like saw some weirdness with Yahoo and just reached out to their postmaster, Lily, who's amazing. And like, you know, she helped immediately. So that's huge. It's not something that all ESPs have in their arsenal. So I would say if you're shopping around for an ESP, you know, I already said who you should choose, but if you're still shopping, you can ask their support teams like, Hey, do you have a deliverability and compliance team? Are you members of MOG? That's (laughs) M3AAWG. And that's something you should absolutely require of any ESP you use to send mail. Yeah. And I I think bringing everything full circle, right? So much about deliverability is the content you send and and basically who your neighbor is on these domains, on the, on Mm -hmm. the IP pools, on email platforms. And so like a lot of these, these companies that are valuing short-term revenue over like long-term reputation are not going to be allowed to join Mog and be in these inner circles. Or if they do, like they're going to get kicked out because... Yeah, it's pretty strict. Yeah, it's very strict. <laughs> I mentioned IPs a second ago. Something that, that creators that I hear them talking about is like, oh, I want a dedicated IP or mm. asking, should I use a custom domain? And as I understand it, the answer, like many things in life are, it, it depends. Yep. <laughs> So what are some of those things? Maybe start with custom domains and then get into like dedicated IPs. Yeah, I can probably lump them both together to start a little bit. Basically, the main thing is if you want to use what we call it ConvertKit, a verified sending domain or a dedicated IP, either one, really what you need to be okay with is you getting into the inbox is now going to depend a lot more on you and your reputation. So you need to be really confident and have your ducks in a row. and we're not going to be there to help you as much in the background. So essentially, when you don't have a verified sending domain set up, the message is still coming from you. But in the background, all of the authentication is happening with ConvertKit's domain and IP. And because we have this really healthy reputation that we've been talking about this whole episode, that helps a lot of creators, kind of gives them a boost and gives them some notoriety. It's like you're trying to get into a club and you're like, I'm with Nathan Barry. And the guy's like, oh yeah, come on. We know him. We're involved. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's go clubbing together. It's exactly. definitely my scene. <laughs> yeah, I figured. But if you set up a verified sending domain or you go the dedicated IP route, it's like trying to get into the club without Nathan Barry. So if you feel good about it and you're like, you know, I've got clout, I've got the reputation, I'm good. That's totally fine in something a lot of senders love and have really great results with. So I would just make sure that if you're going to go that route, you send enough mail. You have to send enough to sustain that reputation. Basically, if you don't send enough volume or you don't send frequently enough, the mailbox providers, they don't trust your you know, sending as much because they're just like, we haven't seen enough information to decide what we think about you. So send regularly at the very minimum once a month to at least I would say it depends. <laughs> like he said, yeah. I would aim for at least 10,000 messages a month to sustain that reputation and make sure you're cleaning your list. Like we talked about, even if you don't think you need to like have some sort of plan where you're being proactive about that and you're sending really great content. So if you have all of that set up and you're good to go, then feel free to set up a verified sending domain, a dedicated IP. Again, it's just a lot of work to maintain that reputation all on your own. But if that's something you want and you feel confident doing that, you can just reach out to our team and we'll definitely help you with it. But for a lot of senders, it's just more work and headache than being on our shared IPs, which are shared with other awesome creators with really great content and great open rates. So it's just sort of like everyone boosting each other up. That's something that I find myself often talking people out of like a dedicated Mm. IP because it's like, do you really want it to be just based on you? And you know, something happens and you're like, oh, I, I, took a month off, you know, I did a sabbatical right. or, you know, had a kid and, and did a month or three months or whatever parental leave. And and you told your subscribers like, hey, I'm going to take this season off from the newsletter. We'll be back in a few months. And they're like, great. But the inbox providers, they don't they don't know or care. They don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're sharing your reputation with other great creators, those creators stayed consistent that whole time. And so you know, the fact that you dropped off really didn't matter that much. Exactly. It gives you so much more slack to make mistakes, to take time off, like you said, 
to have an email that doesn't go so well, maybe, you know, whatever it is. But when you're on a dedicated IP, everything you do is kind of under a microscope and it just matters way more. Are there any other common mistakes that creators make with deliverability or common misunderstandings? Oh, goodness. (laughs) It's a hard one. I I think we need to touch on the promotions tab since you brought it up and it is one that I hear a lot. So let's get into it. (laughs) The promotions tab, like I said earlier, it still is the inbox. I know it's hard to hear because a lot of people want to be mad at it and just call it like the spam folder. And the truth is it's still the inbox. I know it's hard because a lot of times your open rates will drop some whenever you go into the promotions tab. But my view on it, and I would say like every other reputable deliverability person's view on it, is that you just need to embrace it and not fight the algorithms because they're going to do what they're going to do. And if you're sending a newsletter or some sort of, you know, email to a list of people, it is promotional in nature based on what Gmail classifies as promotional. Gmail really wants the primary tab to be for transactional messages, like messages from your boss or a message from your grandma or a reminder from your dentist or things like that, where it's like, you really must see this probably in a timely manner and you're probably going to reply. It's transactional. So they don't want, even if it's the best newsletter in the world and it's not really selling anything, they would put that more in the promotions tab, although not all of those emails end up going to promotions. I see a lot of creators like dig their heels in and like, I don't want to be in the promotions tab and they'll try and trick the system. And maybe you do find something that works for a month and you're going into the primary tab. Gmail's algorithms are changing constantly and it's machines. It's not humans who are reading the message. So there's a good chance it's just going to stop working whatever hack you found and you're back at square one, and it's just going to drive you crazy. So, and then another way I like to think about it, we've talked a lot about quality over quantity here. From what I've seen, a lot of times your open rates are higher in the primary tab, but they're not necessarily higher quality opens. So a lot of times it's people just trying to get to inbox zero. You know, they see that number there of unread messages. And so they're going to click into your email just to kind of get rid of it, but they're not in a place to, you know, sit down with a newsletter or shop or whatever it may be, because they're just in productivity mode. But if someone opens your message in the promotions tab, it's a much stronger open because they went through a sea of promotional emails. They don't have to click on those to get to inbox zero. And they picked yours out of the bunch and they sat down with it and read it or, you know, maybe clicked some links. So yeah, I would try not to obsess over the promotions tab. I know a lot of people do and it's hard not to, but it's just honestly a losing game. And it's set up the way Gmail intended it to be set up. Yeah, and, and we've we've played around with it a lot. You know, we've found that shorter emails often tend to do better, you know, mm-hmm. since a lot of that filtering is content-based. I mean, I think also just having the approach that we've advocated for for a long time of like, send emails like you're writing to a friend. Right, those do much better. Yeah, and and it doesn't mean that, you know, sometimes like Gmail will put those in the promotions tab, mm-hmm. but you know, if you keep that approach. The other thing is for individual senders, you know, if you drag, if, or individual recipients, if they drag that email from the promotions tab over to the inbox tab, my understanding is it'll pretty much always stay there. Is that right? Because that's a, that's a rule for that recipient. It's supposed to. And another thing that's great is encouraging replies. Like I mentioned, if you're receiving a lot of replies, that actually helps Gmail's algorithms think that your message is more transactional because people are writing back to you. So that's still a really great thing I would recommend. Yep. That's good. One of my favorite ways to get replies is to, in that welcome sequence, I don't think people realize this. Automations are really, really important for deliverability because it helps you warm your list. It helps people stay engaged, like, and then it helps get replies. And so in that welcome sequence, you know, maybe email three, email four, you say, Hey, let's say we're teaching design, you know, we're teaching someone how to learn to design in Figma, right? You ask a question, what are you struggling with, with, with Figma? What do you, what do you get hung up on? Like hit reply and let me know. And that does two things. As a content creator, it gives you this constant feed of like, you know, what articles or videos you should create because people are like, oh, I'm stuck on this. I don't know how to do auto layout, you know, or whatever else. And so constantly producing ideas for you, which is great. But the second thing is it's just, it constantly generates replies and people are like, wow. And by people, I mean, inbox providers are like, wow. (laughs) The robots. (laughs) The robots are going, this is like real people are engaging with these emails. They must be good and worthwhile. And instead of trying to remember like, oh yeah, on my fourth broadcast of the month, 
I want to ask a question that gets replies. You know, you're just like, no, I build it into a system and I get, you know, (laughs) replies from, from subscribers all the time. I also have used an example of something you did on our deliverability defined podcast a lot. And you can correct me if I'm wrong about anything, but I think when you were thinking of doing your paid newsletter about money, you first like said to your main newsletter, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Mm -hmm. Reply if you're interested. And you received thousands, hundreds, hundreds. Yep. Hundreds. (laughs) And, but it was, that's a lot of replies. Like I'm sure that did wonders. Mm -hmm. You already have great deliverability, but that was still like probably a huge boost for you. So I think getting creative like that too is a good idea. Yeah. And it keeps like, it keeps this, this whole group engaged. Mm -hmm. Another thing we talked about this a a bunch. I was just on, on deliverability defined uh, as a guest. So we, we've going both ways on the podcast, but in that episode, I talked a bunch about the paid newsletter and something that's really interesting. You know, if you're doing a paid newsletter to a small group, like this is to 500 people. I can't remember the open rate off the top of my head, but it's something like 75% or... It's crazy. It might even be 80 or something. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> really high. And like that, that's another thing that boosts reputation, right? Because yep. the inbox provider is seeing, you know, it's not a small number of emails, you know, only 500 a week or so, but they're seeing like, wow, people are very engaged. Yeah. And I often ask for replies in that email and then I'll incorporate some of the replies into a future edition of the of the email. And so it ends up being like this very virtuous cycle that works well. So good. One other thing that I want to talk about because it's very timely (laughs) today is February 27th that we're recording this. We just put like the secret alpha version of our creator network live, Yay! which you worked on a ton. Do you want to give listeners a little rundown of what that is? And by the time this episode goes live, we'll actually be public and announced rather than like, you know, just this secret group of creators. I know it feels weird to even talk about it. Cause I'm like, am I allowed? But yes, okay. I can talk <laughs> about it. So the creator network is a way for creators to partner up together to help each other grow their audience. And the first iteration of it is post subscription recommendations, which is where when you go to one creator's, you know, sign up form to sign up for their email list, after you subscribe, it's going to pop up and show you who they recommend. And you can just in one click subscribe to those other creators if you want. It'll have a little description about those creators and why you should subscribe to them. And it's just a really great way for creators to partner up with other creators who are similar to them and share, you know, the same topics or, you know, similar content and help each other grow and help their audience find other creators that they're going to love. So it's so exciting. Yeah. Um, it's something that, I've been really excited. I've I've actually had had live on my account for a little bit promoting your newsletter. Actually, I know you've been sending me a lot. I think there's been like over fifty or something creators, which for me that's like a fourth of my list. Yeah, <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. But it's fun, right? Because a lot of people see that I'm also recommending you know you and mm-hmm. and a few other newsletters, and and they opt in. And so we're now building this as core functionality into ConvertKit, launching with a little alpha group of just forty creators to test it out, but then you know, we'll go a lot bigger from there. But in that, like this kind of re- recommendation functionality, right, of helping creators partner up with each other, it exists more in the industry, right? The two main examples of it are Substack has their recommendations feature, which has some similarities. And then Sparkloop has their upscribe. Anyone no doesn't know, you can use, if you're on a Creator Pro, you can get all of Sparkloop's like suite of newsletter growth tools for free. And so in that, these things already exist where, where you can set it up. But one thing that we're really pushing on the creator network side of things is customizing the automations to like the recommendation. Yeah. And so you actually just dropped a video in like our private <laughs> creator <laughs> Slack group. So talk through like what that is and why it matters because it really overlaps with deliverability. Yeah. So our version of the creator network and recommendations is like Nathan and I just talked about. It's very on brand for us that we want everyone to have really high quality subscribers and a high quality audience. So we built this with that in mind. So one thing that's important about ConvertKit's version of recommendations is that you can set up all sorts of automated sequences for the people who join your list. So the people who come into your list through recommendations are different than subscribers who come in through the normal ways. 
because they don't know who you are. They just know, oh, Nathan recommended Alyssa. Okay, I trust Nathan. I'll, I'll subscribe. And you know, they saw maybe a couple sentences about my newsletter. But for the most part, they don't really know what I'm about or what my newsletter is about. So with ConvertKit, you know, you can't do this with Substack. Sorry, Substack. <laughs> Automations, they're an important feature. Yeah, automations. Yep. So I set up this little automated welcome email so that people don't just start receiving my emails out of nowhere and are like, who is this person? I forget why I'm on her list. So right off the bat, whenever they subscribe, they're going to get an email from me saying, hi, I'm Melissa. This is why you're here. You know, Nathan recommended me. And I say, this is what, you know, what I do. Here's my podcast. I even, you know, have like personal life stuff. Like here's a picture of me and my baby and my cat, because people love that. And then most importantly, I have a section on what to expect. So I'm like, you're going to get a weekly email from me on Fridays. I think my newsletter is pretty different than most newsletters. It's basically all text and it's very much like an online course on deliverability. So I make sure to call that out. And of course, I ask for a reply there because I have to do that. Good for deliverability, good for engagement. So that's a huge key thing in ConvertKit that you can't do with other systems. And then another thing that I think we can share, I hope we don't get in trouble, is <laughs> <laughs> that in our directory where you find creators, you're probably going to be wondering like, well, who should I recommend? We are using much smarter tools to help you find creators that you share a common audience with or commonalities with so that you're not just recommending some random person. Like you have a newsletter on finance and they have a newsletter on fitness. Like maybe someone will like both things, but who knows? It'll be like you're recommending someone who has a very similar audience that you do. They send very similar content and there's a really good chance that the people on their list are going to want to also be on your list. So that off the bat just gives you a better success rate at recommendations, but also higher quality recommendations. Yeah. And that's using the subscriber data that we have, you know, like from behind the scenes of running. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you'd quantify this. I think the largest network of creators on a single email platform. I'm, I'm not sure. Someone, if any <laughs> other uh, email provider wants to contest that, we can, <laughs> we can share some numbers. Show us your data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but just from having 45,000 paying customers, paying creators who are using us to run their newsletters, right? There's a lot of data there. And so we can say, hey, you actually send similar content. You have similar subscribers to this other creator. And so maybe the two of you want to partner up to grow faster. Because that's the biggest thing. Like growing an email list and building relationships is so hard. It's so hard. It's very oh. time consuming. And so, yeah, the creator network is really just a feature to make that so much easier. And then like to, to help you grow faster, but then to do it in a way that like is going to like be long lasting and sustainable. And so exactly what you're yeah. saying of like, yeah, you got a new subscriber, but then if they're like, who are you? I forgot how I got on your list, you know, or if they're treated the same, right. As someone who maybe read your blog and then subscribed, like, right. It's an entirely different subscription path. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be able to customize the emails to those people. And you need to be able to do it in an automated way because no one has time to be like, oh, I forgot to oh, send a, a Friday email <laughs> to the people that got referred to my list this week. Like, Sounds terrible. No, <laughs> we all have <laughs> lives and kids and dogs and, you know. Yeah, exactly. All of that that we need to take care of. But one of the my favorite things about the Creator Network is the fact that creators of all different sizes can recommend each other. Just so fun to see like when a really large creator recommends someone who has a smaller list and what kind of impact that has for them. It's huge. Like imagine your favorite creator who has hundreds of thousands of subscribers decides to put you on their recommendations post subscription. And then your phone is blowing up with, you know, new subscriber notifications all the time. I think that's what we're going to be seeing. And that's just so exciting to me. It's this like paying it forward idea. I think every mm -hmm. creator has this moment where someone took a chance on them and either featured them in a newsletter or gave them a shout out on Twitter or invited them to come teach a workshop to their audience. Like some of those things where like you may not have had the full reputation to warrant it, you know, or the body of work. And someone said like, oh no, this is good. Like I, I see the the spark of something like come on my podcast and talk about it, come on, you know, whatever it is. And I think the creator network is going to give a lot more opportunity for that. And then it'll just help more and more creators grow an audience, help far more creators earn a living. And that's what we're all about.
exciting stuff. <laughs> well, we covered a ton of things on the, the details of deliverability and and how we do things behind the scenes at ConvertKit. Where should people go to subscribe to your newsletter, listen to your podcast, all of those things? Yeah. So you can go to deliverability.ck.page slash newsletter. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes to sign up for my newsletter. You can go to Alyssa Doolin on Twitter. I'm sure you'll see Nathan retweet me every now and then if I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I do tweet a lot about ConvertKit, but I'll, I should start tweeting about some other things. I tweet about deliverability every now and then. So the Deliverability Defined Podcast is one of the top places I would recommend you go if you enjoy this. It's basically <laughs> this, but three seasons of it, and we're on our fourth season now. And Nathan joined us on the first episode, which is out now. And he shares numbers about how much money he's made from his paid evergreen newsletter. So if you're interested in that, highly recommend going to Deliverability Define. Sounds good. Well, thanks for coming on. And I'll see you in Slack as we go and build yep. the future of ConvertKit. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> thanks for having me. See ya. <laughs>